Skeleton Crew 2020 Halloween Special. <laughs> another one of my picks and I'm super excited to bring Exorcist 3 to the table which is not only an extremely strong sequel but it's really the only sequel (laughs) (laughs) if you you look at it from the writer-director's point of view and the writer-director of this is William Peter Blatty who wrote the novel for The Exorcist he wrote the screenplay and the novel this is based on Legion his novel that followed up The Exorcist, and he directed it himself. And he's actually a very co- accomplished director. He didn't do a whole lot. He did this and and The Ninth Configuration, which was based on another novel of his. But he's very good. So after we had The Exorcist in 1973, then later there was Exorcist II, The Heretic, Ooh. which... Uh, I know several people who do like it, but for the most part, it's considered a failure because it's pretty terrible. Then we have The Exorcist Three in 1990, which is widely considered the true sequel to The Exorcist. And that is, um, I'm one of those people that widely considers it that. Um, I narrowly consider it that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alex, you had some information on the budgets. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating, actually, the budgets. So uh, the original Exorcist had a budget of $12 million in the 70s. It made $440 million in the box office. Wow. Keep that in mind. Ready? So this movie comes out 15 years later, 1990, and it has a budget of $11 million. So it drops $1 million only in budget, but it is 15 years later, so, you know, inflation. And right. it only made $40 million. So the first one made $440 million. This made $40 million. Well, as we all know, and people who, li- who are listening here know, one bad sequel will kill us. It will, can kill a franchise for the next sequel. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've seen that happen so many times. And even if the next sequel that comes out is superior to the previous sequel, people aren't going to go see it because they were stung with the the previous one. So after the utter failure of The Heretic, when this one came out, even though it is so much better, a lot of people didn't go see it. Now, fortunately, it did make a pretty decent profit. I mean, I think it's generally you do like three times the budget is what it takes with marketing and everything else. So you're not really making a profit until you hit three times the budget. But they did that, and they went over. So it did make a profit, which is good. We also have some a really impressive cast for this one, including George C. Scott, who is playing Kinderman. Now, he was not the Kinderman in the original film, but I don't think it even matters 
to to be honest, he does such an incredible job here that you don't really dwell on that. Ed Flanders came back as Father Dyer. He played Father Dyer in the first one. Oakley Doakley. Uh, Jason Miller came back. In this one, he's credited as Patient X, but in the first one, he was Father Karras. And if you remember how the first one ended, he took the demon into himself and then threw himself down that iconic flight of stairs. Mm -hmm. And so he's back for this one. Uh, Spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> for the first movie. <laughs> Scott Wilson is here, a very young oh, Scott Wilson, that oh Walking God. Dead fans will look at him and go, oh, my goodness. Now, he was a staple with William Peter Blatty. He was also in the ninth configuration. So they worked oh, together a couple nice. of times. Nicole Williamson, as Father Morning, is here, but not if you watch the director's cut. Hmm. There is a... There are two different versions of this film. There is the theatrical version, which had a lot of fingerprints from the producers all over it. And the whole reason we have the father mourning bit at the end is because the producer said, whoa, 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 you can't have an exorcist film and not have an exorcism. So they manufactured that whole bit to bring him in. But if you watch the director's wow. cut, you wow. get more Brad Dourif. You don't get Jason Miller, which is kind of a trade-off, uh, because I do really like the Jason Miller parts. But Brad Dourif, who is playing the Gemini killer, and he – this is one of my favorite performances of Brad Dourif. He is incredible in this. Mm. In the director's cut, you get a lot more of that, which I love. But you don't get the Father Morning stuff at the end, which is fine with me because I honestly feel like it, it drags the film down. But that's pretty much the – the bare bones of of what's going on here. The we do have a synopsis for anyone who is not familiar. And I just lost the page, so hang on one second. Tiny. A police lieutenant uncovers more than he bargains for as his investigation of a series of murders, a series of murders which have all the hallmarks of the deceased Gemini serial killer, leads him to question leads him to question the patients of a psychiatric ward. So basically we have a series of murders that start popping up in town and they are reminiscent of a serial killer that is now known to be deceased, but they have all the hallmarks, including things that were not shared with the press. So it's unlikely that it's a copycat killer. So the George C. Scott character, Kenderman, starts to delve into that and discover what's really going on. Yeah, I thought that was a really great um, aspect of the narrative where when he says things like, you know, well, in the paper we said that this happened, you know, uh, I think, you know, they, he always left a mark on this part of the body and it was really here and this instead of that and this instead of that. I thought that was really interesting because that really dr brings you in because it's like, oh, wow. Uh, even though we knew as an audience knew nothing about this, once you hear that the general public got this information and yet it's really this and that is what's really happening, it becomes more intriguing. Right. You know, and it feels more lived in. It, and I, I also feel like, too, uh, uh, you know, this is a this is a mystery. You know, this isn't just always. Yeah. Like Jamie said, there's an there's an exorcism in the end, but it, it, it feels like. Okay, we're trying to figure out what's going on here, and I really had no idea where where this was going. Um, pretty much until 
until the the guy from the first one showed up and I was like, oh, wow, that blew my mind in itself. But trying to figure out what was going on, there was so much exposition in this movie, but I loved every second of it. Like they, they kept kind of dancing around certain things, giving you clues. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this movie's this, maybe this movie's that. Personally, I <laughs> I feel ashamed of myself that I let this one fly under the radar for me for so long. Um, I know it has an iconic scene in it, but I never knew it was that good. And watching this movie and watching the plot unfold the way it did, it was literally one of the greatest like mysteries for me that I've ever seen. I was like, this is so engaging and I care about everything that these people are saying. Right. And it, it's not a good thing to go on YouTube and look up big scene or scary scene of Exorcist 3. It definitely plays way better if you're actually taking the journey. Agreed. You know, this is a slow burn for sure. Everything's really laid out. It's really built upon. All the characters are completely fleshed out, totally developed. Yep. Even like the, the moments like when he's talking to this dude, the Gemini killer, and he sees Father Karras and he goes, you only see what your heart sees or something like that or, you know, whatever. And then you start to piece together what is happening with what he's looking at compared to what's really there. Um, Brad Dorff's acting like when he screams and, and starts getting enraged with the whole idea. Yeah, like the amazing moments of this movie. Things like, you know, like we said, the classic scene where the Gemini comes out of nowhere behind the nurse. Um, that is just wild, man. The, the, the sound, the sound design to that whole scene, the way it's shot from such a distance. And you, you're, yep. it's like you're trying to see what's going on. And it's, <laughs> and all of a sudden it just like hits you like so hard. It's just the way it was directed. And for a guy who hardly directed anything, I thought that was really impressive. The choices that were made there. Absolutely. I like how they added the effects to Dorf's voice when he talks to the lieutenant. I thought that was really good. Mm -hmm. As far as sound design again, the the uh, the explanation of how he took over Father Karras's body and his like his brain, <laughs> how he like uh, fixed it or whatever, and it took fifteen years, and now he's you know back to killing and all that. Uh, that was really interesting. Um, right. Did you guys notice that Dorf says uh, "child's play" to the lieutenant? Oh, he does. Nice. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, dude, I'll agree with Jamie as well. Um, his best performance. He is so good in this movie, it's it's frightening. It's like he's just an amazing actor. And, you know, I also think that, you know, because we've seen him in, like, in Halloween 2, he gives a great performance as well. And that was oh, more yeah. recent, obviously, than this. But, man, I got to say, I, I will, I'm saying it right now, Brad Dorff is underrated. <laughs> just by that performance alone, you know? Yeah, like, people who just, who skip this one. Because, you know, Exorcist doesn't have, like, the marquee value when it comes to horror fans. It's almost like... Right. It's almost like um, Children of the Corn or Poltergeist or Amityville. Like, nobody really thinks anything of the sequels. Psycho is almost there, sadly. Um, you know, like, people, some, there's some franchises that people don't put much thought into the sequels. This is definitely one of them. So, this movie probably is overlooked in a big way. That, it, dude, it, and I'm so glad you said that because when we reviewed Psycho 3 back in the day, 
I was guilty of the same thing, like exactly what you're talking about. I paid no attention to him because mm-hmm. I was just like, eh, whatever. It's just a sequel. And, not, you know, everybody knows the originals, obviously. But I, and I also know what you mean, though. You know, you get your Friday the 13th fanboys. You get all these properties. Texas Chainsaw uh, even has a lot of them where it has this fan base. But like, yeah, there's also the Exorcist, your Amityville Horrors, those kind of movies that, that while they're known – and and I and I feel like they're respected for sure. It just doesn't have the same fan base. Obviously, no. the sequels were no one talks about them as well, right? Jamie, do you do you think they get the notoriety that? I, mean, I don't know if I can even say that they des. Well, there's a lot of Exorcist um, spinoffs though, like all these Emily Rose things, and then you know some stuff we touched upon on the crew and stuff. What we did, we covered some Exorcist. Well, it's pretty much impossible to do an Exorcism movie without making people think of The Exorcist. It, you can't. You can't do it. And so uh, I was right. recently talking about on the podcast Under the Stairs when we did the uh, first part of the Wanniverse show, I was talking about yes. how in The Conjuring, they have the exorcism scene at the end, and you can tell that James Wan clearly was trying to go oh, as far away from the exorcist as he could by having her sitting right. upright in a chair versus being strapped to a bed. Because anytime you right. see an exorcism scene, they're typically strapped to a bed, and the first thing you're going to think of is the exorcist, and you can't get away from that. <laughs> so the, the original right. film has a huge legacy. The sequels, no, not so much. And you know how Brian Post's Whenever we're watching something, he always gives like a little mini review. What I discovered when we watched this film through the comments is that there are way more people than I thought who have never seen this film, who just wrote it off, who skipped it over. That breaks my heart because if any movie deserves to be heralded, it's this one. And I'll straight up tell you, I, I absolutely love the original the Exorcist, yep. it is my third favorite film of all time, right behind Jaws and Dawn of the Dead 78. Wow. It is unequaled. But with this film, it's damn near close. Like, it comes right? so close to being as good as the first one. And I honestly think this one is scarier. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first time I saw this, I didn't actually see this in the theater. I had... I missed it in the theater and then for the same reason everybody else did, you know, and now I feel really bad about that. But when uh, <laughs> I happened to be at a friend's house and there were a bunch of us sleeping over and I couldn't sleep, which is typical. So I got up in the middle of the night and his dad had taped it off cable and it was on VHS. So I sat in the living room with all the lights off because I didn't want to wake anyone up right in front of the TV. And I was watching this movie and we get to that iconic scene It scared me so bad that I I was so afraid I couldn't even go back to bed because I was too scared to walk down the hall. (laughs) I didn't want to walk past. I didn't want to walk past any doors. Even now, when we watch this movie, if I have to go to the bathroom, Brian has to walk me to the bathroom. Like, and he's all he's constantly making fun of me for that. I will not walk past doors. I don't. It it freaks me out, and I have to turn on all the lights. I usually take an animal with me. Like it seriously. it really affects me because I think it's that powerful. And that's not the only scary scene in the film. There are, you know, 
old ladies crawling on, on ceiling. ceilings. Oh and, uh, my god! You know, right? But and just the imagery too. When the scene where he has the dream and he goes to heaven, and he's talking to all the the dead people, yeah. they terrify me. You know, the uh, when he sees the little kid that got killed and they found him the, in the beginning. Oh my god! Right, his neck, his head, like stitched back on, yep. and his his eyes. It just oh, freaks me that out. That was crazy with the eyes. Right. Yeah. Right. So Blatty knows exactly what he's doing. He is an incredible director, and when it comes to this film, he took such care, mm. and. Uh, it just shows. And Brad Dorf, oh my God, I can't even uh, say enough about him. When he just, I could listen to him talk all day long. When he gets to the part where he's doing his little monologue, that could be an entire movie and I would be totally happy with it. And he's terrifying. You know, it's just, everything about it is terrifying. And George C. Scott, his performance. Oh my God. Uh, yes. I don't think you can say enough about him. He is no. fans of The Changeling. Yep. Will be familiar with how he emotes. Right. And he is incredible. And to be such a a big, strong guy, and you know, he's most notably known for playing Patton. I think that's probably his most famous role. Mm-hmm. He's you know, he's Pat a big Oswald? strong guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Pat but when you see him in films where he has to be emotional, it breaks your heart. You know, when he's trying so hard to get to his daughter. Right. That scene, trying to get to the house, was so intense. Because you think that this nurse is just slaughtering these people at that point. You know, you just don't know. And then it's even more creepy because he gets there and everyone's fine. So you're like, then you're really confused. And all of a sudden he goes in the next room or whatever and the nurse is there. And then that scene just gets insanely creepy with her being there and then seeing the reaction of everybody who was with her this whole time who thought she was basically normal but a little weird and all of a sudden it goes to a whole nother level like everything is just played like this whole you know the, the first half is a slow burn it it really picks up with that scary scene walking down the halls past that door once that happens this movie just ramps up like the the exorcism scene, I know that um, Jamie, she has too much knowledge to enjoy it the way Dan and I might have. I, I don't know if you liked it, Dan, but I did. I thought it was pretty wild with the, the, the dude on the ceiling and the skin ripping off. And like and that's sort of when we get to that, um, the, the imagery of the crucified boy with a Jesus statue on his head and the spikes through the eyes, like... Like, the last 35 minutes of this movie is intense and insane. Wild. So, it's it's a good juxtaposition. Like, one of the um, things I always... My favorite band is the Smashing Pumpkins. And one of the things that is the greatest aspect of that band, at least in the early days, probably it, it ended around, like, 96 or so, Billy Corgan said he he wanted to perfect playing slow music with heavy music. And his songs would be like that. Like, they would be slow, like, just, you know, low, slow singing. And all of a sudden, I'm your lover. I'm your zero. (laughs) Well, not that one, but yeah. But he would do that. And it, it blends beautifully together. When you could do those things, have a slow burn, and have a fucking kick ass last 35 minutes that's ramped up like this, it. 
it really takes you by surprise. And it it's like a roller coaster of a of a movie, and it adds to that because you know you could be you could put the pedal to the metal as soon as the movie starts, and you're just burned out by the time you're finishing off that second of the three acts, you know. Right. Right. So to do it this way is the best way, and that adds to the whole experience. I was. I don't hate the exorcism scene. I feel what. I feel about it is that it feels unearned. I feel like it feels shoehorned in, and that's because it was. I mean, we get a couple of shots of Father Morning leading up to that, but really, and and then he just walks in at the end, and you just get this like, "Who are you, and why are you here?" Like that's that's right. how I feel about it. Right. I don't think the scene itself is a bad scene. I just feel like it doesn't really belong, hmm. and it always felt tacked on to me and weird, and. Then when I realized why, I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, I don't think it ruins the movie in any way, but I will say that I recommend that people watch the theatrical version and then watch the director's cut and just see which one you prefer. Because, like I said, there's a give and take. You do lose some things and you add th- add some things, but uh, some people may prefer this one, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I do think it's still a very solid film. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, I loved the film anyway regardless of the ending or that part of the ending before i knew anything about it so when did you first discover and when did you watch the director cut um i think i the first watched the director's cut probably five years ago okay it was shortly after i moved up here so like right around five years ago i think and it was when i want to say it was because it got a maybe a new blu-ray release Hmm. And that's why. And then that's when I started digging into it. Because prior to that, I had just I just had it on DVD and I just watched it as it was. And I didn't really do any digging. But then when uh, when I discovered that there was a director's cut and then I started digging into it and the why there were these changes and what was going on. And, you know, it's your typical producers going, you know, I have to have an exorcism scene, which really. If you watch the director's cut, it's not as dynamic because you don't have that huge bit, but it's to me, uh, it's more subtle and right. I think it's stronger. But that's me because the I also like the fact that we get so much more Brad Dourif. But um, yeah, I would recommend watching both and just seeing which one you prefer. Well, Jamie, you said that it, you know, it was more subtle. I agree with that. That whole story that he tells, and this is what this is how it connects to the first one so brilliantly too. Right when he's falling down those stairs, there's a little gap that he could have snuck in at that at that perfect time, and that's how they explain everything too. And I just thought that that was such a brilliant tie to the original. It made perfect sense. It didn't feel like this is another writer trying to, you know, fit it. It felt like this was just a natural part of the story, um, but amped up like a million percent. Like when I watch this movie, it's a mystery. And then it goes into so many different directions. You know, you mentioned the his daughter at the end, right? That almost feels like the fifth plot turn of the whole movie. 
you know, you get the whole, hey, we don't know what's going on. It might be this killer. And then it's literally him possessing the guy from the first movie. And by the way, I love that. I'm not the biggest Exorcist fan, but like that connection and, yeah. you know, he didn't have that much of, that much of a performance in it. But his performance was killer, too. Like, it was great. Like, he played it perfectly. And like Alex said, with the voices and stuff, I just there was something about this movie that was really creepy. And I actually forgot about old ladies crawling on the ceilings until you mentioned it and I was like oh my god and I had always seen I had always seen that because of Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments and it shows yeah yeah, and it shows the scissor scene though right and that scene is obviously like we said iconic but while they're talking about that it also features scenes with the lady and I was like again I feel ashamed now because it took me so long to watch this movie because Jamie you were like reading the comments like I was that guy like I and I completely admit it but to speak to that as well this is one of the best horror movies I've ever seen too like I agree and I'm like wow I can't believe how long it's been that I just never gave this a shot you know I'm and, glad you did well we were forced to well, well yeah. I'm glad I forced you <laughs> but the, the, it's also the considered the best uh, a lot of people consider that one scene the best jump scare it is ever oh that's okay and it's because of the build up because of the yes. tension and it's 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 a slow tensiony build and the camera just stays back and lets you watch it like he doesn't you know frenetically move the camera around he doesn't try to nope. do any crazy tricks the camera is at the end of the hall you're watching the entire thing play out and it takes a while to do it and that's what because you know you just feel like there's a reason we're here something's gonna happen right and it takes its time and that's that's to me the hallmark of a good director is when he can just let it happen Let and just it, say, no. just hang on a minute. You guys got to hang on, you know, just, <laughs> yep, just yep. wait, you know, <laughs> but it pays off that it's oh, worth sure. that build up. Like that's, that's, that's what it's about. And you said something about the camera and I think that's it. It's the familiarity that of the camera and where it is from the beginning. So we're seeing from this angle. So we almost become comfortable with this angle and it is, it's a long shot. It's like, Okay, like, why are they shooting it this way? And holy shit, does it work so brilliantly. And here's another thing, too. If you can continually scare people when they know it's coming, because more people have seen that scene more than the whole movie, obviously. And people will still say that, like, even with it coming, and this worked for me, too, I knew it was coming. That music cue too, uh, or whatever it is, like, oh my god, like, holy fucking shit. And I was like, wow. But here's the greatest thing, and as great as that scene is, that's that is this is not just for that scene. Like, this movie is so much more, it's got tons of great shit in it, and stuff that really honestly scared the hell out of me. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. And then, you know, like we said, to add on the performances and I'm like, am I crazy here? Like, this is this is a five out of five. The only way that they can they can ruin it is if they completely drop the ball and then they kept adding the plot points and then you learn the connection to the first one. It's dude. This this was a mic drop from the jump. Wow. Well, Dan gave his rating. So, uh, Jamie, what's your rating? (laughs) So excited, Dan. That makes me so happy. It really does. It makes me so, so happy. 
this is a straight up five for me. I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by that. Uh, This is, uh, (laughs) if I want to get scared, this is a movie that I will watch. And it will, it works every time. Yes. The highlight for me, again, Brad Dorf saying child's play. And then we cut to a redhead kid. I mean, come on. If that's not... (laughs) If that's not fantastic filmmaking, what is? I actually pointed that out when we watched it the last time. I pointed that out. And uh, I was like, that was really clever and very subtle, you know. Yes. That's great. Yeah. Love it. Not as crazy as into it as you guys are, so... But it's still a very high rating, 4.5 out of 5. Right on. Yeah. It's uh just so well done the the um the acting the execution what a great job of directing for a guy who really doesn't direct anything that is very impressive right. but I guess only you really know how to bring your vision to life I guess sometimes um and this is definitely a case uh I'm better for watching this I know I watched it a couple years ago but I might not have been in the right headspace in my 20s or whatever or 30s Watching it this time, I definitely want to make this a uh, once every two to three year rotation. I mean, really good stuff. Great compliment to right. The Exorcist. Definitely, nice. yeah, definitely the true sequel. You could skip that uh, mm. Darth Vader sequel. I mean, that is horrible, dude. Uh, <laughs> now, did, the Darth Vader sequel. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if they made a part four Exorcist, but uh, uh, yeah, well, there are two. There's actually yeah. Exorcist Dominion, I think, and Dominion. then they're when they're they're both prequels. They're right. pretty much exactly the same story as Exorcist: The Beginning and then Exorcist: Dominion. They are pretty much the same story. They were made. Uh, one got started being made, and then but they had some issues. Then they started making it again. With uh, it's and there are actually some of the, some cast members that are in this yeah. movie. It's really yep. bizarre. It's really yeah. bizarre. Yep. Um, they're not that great. So we could stop here. <laughs> I don't think either one of them is that great, but it's right. really interesting to watch them side by side or, you know, watch one after the other and just see the similarities and the differences. I like to do yes. that. But yep. as far as if I'm going to say I'm watching the Exorcist franchise, I'm really okay if all I watch is Exorcist and Exorcist 3 and then done. Perfect. Like, I'm I'm happy with that. Yep. And, and also they made the um, short-lived uh, TV show as well. That was That was a big hit. Yeah, which the first season of that I think was phenomenal, and then right. it kind of turned into supernatural in the second season, where it was like you know traveling around, you know performing exorcism kind of thing. I right, and then I fell off of it in the middle of the second season, and then it got canceled. But right. the, the right. first season of that with Gina Davis is totally worth watching. Oh wow! Yeah, that twist is big. Yep, yep. 